0: Welcome to Shut another up, episode I'm of the Superhero Movie Club, a community of superhero movie fans. All are welcome, but please rub your feet at the door. I'm your Comfort <laughs> Culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the <laughs> Michael,
1: James Hudson,
0: the Scientific Scholar, Ben Anderson, and special guest, other scientist in training, Schmo. <laughs> the original. In the original, the OG, the very first man to ever grace his knowledge. The third, the very first third man to ever be on the show.
2: Yeah, <laughs> a while ago.
0: Yes, Captain America, yeah. Winter Soldier. Go on back. Look at the dialogue. <laughs> uh, or the backlog. It's an oldie, it's an, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, we talked about the wonders of helicopters and how they don't work without lift.
1: And people would die. Uh, anyway... SHMC is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie.
3: Whether it's money, comic books, fascism, music, or science, SHMC talks about it all in this week's episode.
4: I can assure you I mean you no harm. Who are you? Who? Who is but the form following the function of what, and what I am is a man in a mask.
2: Well, I can see that.
4: Of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking upon the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. Oh, right. But on this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of the more commonplace sobriquet to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. Voila! in view a humble vaudevillian veteran cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate this visage no mere veneer of vanity is a vestige of the vox populi now vacant vanished however this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin, in vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta, held as a votive, not in vain. For the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. <laughs> Verily, this vichyssoise of verbiage veers most verbose. So let me simply add that it's my very good honor to meet you and you may call me V.
2: Are you like a crazy person?
4: V for vendetta.
3: And yes, there will be spoilers,
0: oh man, what a fun, fun movie this one was. We're gonna get some first opinions, and you know, let's throw them on the spot. It's been a while. Shimon. How did you like V for vendetta?
2: um I thought it was I thought it was a well done movie. I mean, um, to be fair, I personally haven't read the uh the comics that they were based off themselves. But I thought it uh, posed a lot of interesting ideas. The actors did a good job. And I thought it was just, in general, a very, very pretty movie.
0: Very simple. To the point. Skylar, can you elaborate?
3: V for is kind of extraordinary in that it is essentially a blockbuster ideas movie sold as an action movie. So got some action parts, but when you go back on it, people don't say, oh, yeah, that one-minute knife fight was cool. They say the idea of V and this whole movement he instigates is what uh, rings throughout most audiences. The ideas are great. Uh, Hugo Weaving is excellent as V, and it's one of those movies that,
0: uh, odd as it is, it kind of gives you hope going forward. Gives you hope. I mean, I suppose that was the whole point of the end of the movie. See, with V for Vendetta, watching this movie directly after re-reading the now-collected graphic novel, I go, wow, this movie really got Americanized for the sake of just selling it to American. I mean, it's all British actors, but like the plots... Uh, deal so little with British politics that they did in the book and a lot more like you can you can see the uh, the post 9-11 tendencies you know the lack of of security and with the over like the big brother sense a bit more and it was a great movie uh, but I have to make one big note and that is it lacked one crucial thing and that is David Lloyd's art it did not really capture the essence of that because in the book it's a nuclear kind of winter is the setting and there are no bright sequences everything is very dark and grim it sets the mood for the whole book of just like this this cold desolate united fascism whereas the movie way too much sunshine i'd say only in the parts of darkness where i was like all right we've got something going here
1: but ben Finish us out. Um, This is one of those movies that every November I'm really not looking forward to... I don't look forward to the beginning of November because of this movie because everyone gets so like, remember the 5th of November and then they watch it and I think most people miss the point of the... Of, well, at least the point of the book because the movie is very like fascism bad and visa hero and... The, the the book is more subtle, more nuanced, and I think better. Um, so I saw it once in college, and I was like, okay, I, I, I have no interest in ever watching it again. But it was good.
0: I like, I like how that's... You know, I feel as if that's like all of
1: mid-2000s comic book movies. <laughs> it's <just like, laughs> That's most movies I watch, actually. <laughs> okay, like, I, I saw Love Actually recently for the first time, and I was like, okay, I'm not interested in seeing that ever again. Okay, so...
3: Question deposit here is *V for Vendetta* the better movie adaptation of an Alan Moore uh, work because it goes, you know, it doesn't try to mimic the. What
1: are other options? Other oh options directly would be *Watchmen*. Okay, it's better than *Watchmen*. It's a okay. better adaptation than *Watchmen*. Like, okay, it, it's <laughs> it's a less faithful adaptation because *Watchmen* tried to do shot for shot what the book did, but this is a better movie. Yeah,
3: I think it's obvious to say that it's better than League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but that is a a big outlier in the world of cinema.
0: But guys, what about Swamp Thing and Return of the Swamp Thing?
1: Are those movies? <laughs> yeah, they exist. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen them, so I can't pass judgment.
0: <laughs> okay, well let's talk about the money of for Vendetta then. Production budget 54 Million. That's it. Just a little, just a little pocket change out That's of the, really cheap out of the studio budget, which
3: it then turned around into a seventy point five million dollar haul from the U.S. Uh, add on sixty two million dollars from elsewhere in the world, and you get a hundred thirty two point five million dollar blockbuster,
0: which there's nothing to uh, shrug your shoulders at, as they say. You know, it's it's. I think it's exactly what the purpose was drawn out to be. We've got a good premise for an action film. Um, we can modify it to an action film, and uh, we're going to sell it as an action film. People are going to see it enough. Uh, it didn't it didn't break the box office in any way, uh, but it certainly made a nice little pocket change for one of this come out in the summer.
3: This came out in March two thousand six, so it's what? direct. Um... Competition would be stuff like She's the Man.
0: Why didn't it come out in November, December? I
3: think it was originally supposed to come out in late 2005, but then some production, distribution, cacophony happened, and uh, March
0: Hmm. is where it landed. Very well. Fine. That's all right. But it, it served its purpose. It didn't create an outcry for more works of similar tastes, you know, it's just every—it's just you know another attempt to create a diehard. I don't—that's not a good analogy. I feel mm-hmm. as if all studios are trying to get back to diehard, <laughs>
3: except for diehard, which keeps getting <laughs> further away from diehard.
0: <laughs> so true. All right, so let's talk about the comic books, and oh my goodness, there is a history behind how V for Vendetta came into inception. First of all, as we as we know it is the original books were written by Alan Moore and drawn by David Lloyd. This project began in 1982 and did not reach its co- conclusion until 1989. It took 7 years to produce 10 issues. That is a giant so there was a there was a giant hiatus in the middle there where it moved from uh, from a British strip called Warrior, where it was published in the back of, back to DC's Vertigo imprint, picked it up, and they republished it in color, and therefore continued the series from there. Uh, v for Vendetta takes place in a post-apocalyptic England, several years after they survived a nuclear war, N- uh, not a world-destroying pathogen sort of disease like they had in the movie, because in the book Alan Moore thought, before reading this, he thought, uh, before writing this, he thought, oh, people can survive a nuclear war as long as they're not, like, of the affected country. He even said in an afterward, republished later when the book was collected, I've come to the conclusion and been told that that is very incorrect, um, but I sure hope you'll enjoy the work anyway, (laughs) because the whole book takes place in nuclear winter. There's no sunshine at all. The Labor Party took power in the late 80s and eradicated all of the nukes that they had, making them a non-threat, non-target to the warring parties, which ended up being the United States and Russia. They just ended up being caught in the nuclear fallout, but fine, because Mueller didn't have a good grasp of what fallout is. I I feel like an author shouldn't have to apologize for
3: is you know a little fallacy in that logic when it's a complete fictional work
0: yeah uh i guess but i mean think of indiana jones and the crystal skull were we not very upset when we're like oh dude you can't survive nuclear explosion in a fridge
3: i think we were just upset at the whole fucking movie
0: <laughs> that too but i think a lot of people yeah, complain about example. that Um, Oh, I thought it was a good one. Screw you
1: guys. It's okay. I I apologize for saying it was bad. It was okay. (laughs) All right, so a fascist
0: regime called Norsefire takes over England, and it falls into this cold, dark, freedomless order. Culture is banned, the media is regulated nigh completely, and law enforcement is corrupt around the board. Enter V a government experiment born from the fascist concentration camps who tortured blacks, gays, socialists, people who were not just pure British white guys.
1: Air quotes, undesirables.
0: Yes, correct. All in the name of freedom. These people would destroy your freedom if let loose. So it's never really explained, um, but prisoner number five, Roman numeral five, becomes a technical genius v escaping and planning his revenge on not only his torturers but his the entire british system that led to this he rescues evie hammond and now uh, the reader has a lens with which to project themselves with this because uh, the 17 year old girl is wrapped up in this massive conspiracy while having everything she ever believed in or thought challenge her to the point of madness and this is she reaches all the decisions that the readers have to go through is v right or is he wrong it should uh, is he just as extreme as the current rulers despots the movie does this all pretty well with a few changes and made in major points um the tragedies of course not nuclear winter but super flu called a saint mary's virus that the british government throws on extremists as a it's never proven whether or not that information that V said was correct, but it's heavily implied. Uh, the hand, the British hand, how the government focuses, like you have the finger, the nose, the eye, the mouth, um, they're not really touched upon in the movie nearly as much as they are in the book, except for about Finch, who's in the nose, even though he had a he had a crucial role in the movie. Also, the leader, Asim, uh, Adam Susan, not Suttler, like in the film, is not all Spitfire and Brimstone and gall like in the movie. He's really just a recluse who's hopelessly in love with a British supercomputer called Fate. And you get to learn all about that relationship and whether or not it's healthy. Spoilers, it's not. In the end... Evie takes the mantle of V after V's death, implying that she herself will also train a prodigy that she rescues randomly from the street at the very end. The big deal between the movie and the book is themes and tone. The V for Vendetta comic book is an amazing piece of literature that stimulates readers to consider uh, uh, polar sides of real political standpoints, the very far side of fascism and the very far side of anarchy which is right, which is more right, which is better, which is safer, which is more just to its citizens. Was V a masked masked Avenger with a goal to liberate the people and have them feel free in mind and spirit? Or was he just as crazy as the current regime, if not crazier, or just out with a vendetta, and feel as if it was justified um, with this higher purpose? And in the movie, he's just more charming, is really, he's a He's a bit more of a masked avenger, or he's more of he's played out to be a superhero and less of a, a shady figure. He kills a lot more people in the book than he does in the movie for not fully justified reasons. And the movie did one big thing in that it modified the story to have more of a post-9-11 fears American view. It's an attempt at modernization that didn't fit the tone of the worries Alan Moore had at the time when he wrote the book. You have to have some background in British politics of the 80s to have, um, like, to be fully immersed in this tale. Because once you do, it becomes so much bigger. So the movie sort of dumbed it down. It was, it's, it's just fascism as evil to every inch. And V is the only person who can stand up to it in the end. He saves a day with a master plan. We never doubt V for a, min- a minute, well, maybe a little bit, but we probably should doubt him more. Um, and it's just the same as most modern movies. And we'll say it, almost every podcast we'll say it again, the villains are just too villainy. They cannot simply exist to do just harm. Not only must they, the characters believe that they are in the right But we, if the audience, must believe or at least empathize with their position.
3: I think what they decided to do with the modernization is probably the only way in 2006, or even for a few years after there, they could even get this movie made. Because that's the element that ultimately drew people in and still has people talking about it to this day. The fact that they put it through the lens of a... 2006 post 9/11 bush era uh concerns and paranoia and while it's not completely beholden to the novel it's its own thing entirely it feels like
0: yeah and see when when i say post 9/11 it's it's um what we all fe- the ending is different cuz the the ending of the book is complete anarchy uh, v blows up all forms of the British government everybody 's in tassels, and they 're just left to be free on their own and they sort of riot and go crazy and that 's just kind of the end of the book in the movie you got this you know this master plan where he puts everyone in a guy fox mask and has them walk through London Square on their own. They just do it, and it 's kind of what we as Americans feel we should or we just sort of walk up and we say, we're, we're done with all of um, your government oppression, we're taking it back because we have strength in numbers. Um, you took advantage of us when we were scared, and now we've seen that that was wrong, and we want to fix it. We've all come united to fix it.
1: Nothing's more American than the right to peaceably assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances. Boom. <laughs> and Thank you.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, and the point, like, you could have used American actors and changed the story a bit, but again, it would have lost even more of its tone. So there's a lot, there's a lot to discuss with V for Vendetta in its transition from book to film because uh, it creates a totally different message, but is it necessarily a bad new message and you know a lot of people misunderstand it as just like we need this one instigator before we can do anything it's supposed to inspire you to be like no you should just do you should just unite and fight anyway you don't need someone like V a mastermind to plan it all before you can start fighting back but I've, I've spent enough time on this topic let's get to our next section music That's me, once more. Okay, music for V for Vendetta is
3: done by a composer we have not yet heard from, but I am very happy to talk about. It's Dario Marianelli, who did the music for this particular movie. Uh, His past works have included the Oscar-winning Atonement, which came out the year after this movie, and his most recent film score, uh, or at least one of his most recent ones, was Everest, which also really worked well for the movie. He's a very classical kind of composer and usually his works are very lauded for their quality um, and just how much more do they add to the movie. So let's take a listen to uh, the first track we have on the docket for today, which is Evie Reborn. It's a track um, just over halfway through the movie where Evie goes through her kind of metaphysical transformation into a victim, or from a victim into a someone united, as you might say.
0: Transcendentalized. Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Transcendency. There we go. Or self-actualization. The whole one, like, you got to give your, your, uh, your music composer just a couple words, and then, boom, you come out with this four-minute track. <laughs> God is in the rain. God is in the rain. God is everywhere. Or I'm in the rain. You're in the rain. V's in the rain. This,
3: Everyone's in the
0: way and their
3: thing and in the way. Sorry.
0: This constant... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and expand. It's too metaphysical for me, man. Especially this time of night. <laughs> I've had too many rum and cokes to try and explain this thing,
3: but... (laughs) The book does it better. (laughs) (laughs) That's the easiest thing to say. The book does it better. Anyway, no, this is a... I'm not Alan Moore. (laughs) (laughs) I am not Alan Moore, and this is one of the musical highlights of the movie. So, there you go. Um, Another one happens to be the track The Dominoes Fall, where uh, the inspector is piecing together V's ultimate master plan in a glorious montage of upheaval. So let's take a listen.
0: I'm sensing a theme tonight, Skyward. so far. <laughs> the clips you have picked, just, you know, start low, start low, getting bigger, getting bigger, or just getting, starting low, and get it's just all crescendo. Is that the theme tonight, just crescendo? Yes. Um, that is
3: kind of the general idea behind uh, the music for V for Vendetta because I guess you could say it's a bit of a slow burn, especially after the initial... Uh, overtaking of the news station kind of just builds up and musically it really represents that especially with the third track I've picked out tonight which obviously was not written for the movie but I couldn't not include it due to its uh, narrative importance in the whole proceedings and that is of course the 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky.
0: promised we'd never sing again. Screw you, that Wonderflyers. Promise <laughs> <in it. laughs> Promises are made to be broken. Oh, yeah. what, a, yeah. what a wonderful song. But Skyward, yeah. I'm disappointed. You didn't want to play that beautiful song in the background of of oh, what's her name? Sally. Who's the fictional woman? Valerie. Valerie. Yes, you didn't want to play Valerie's song.
1: Valerie by Amy Winehouse.
0: <laughs> That's the one. Valerie you no, like a hon- knocking in my head anyway what
3: <laughs> no honestly it it n- never came to mind the other one i was juggling around was the um the final kind of confrontation between v and uh Critty at the end but it's pretty similar to the uh
0: domino's fall track so mm-hmm. i think we get the point but have you noticed that um was oh, i'm trying to think <laughs> that uh there's always a, a wonderful piece of classical songs well at least just in the in the in the watchmen as well as view for vendetta we had that beautiful was it Bell song or who's it who what was that song in, in watchmen that they played in the background of dr manhattan's oh it origin? was a, it was a- Philip Glass
1: piece. It's that, a Philip Glass track. It's from the Coyote soundtrack. Just watch Coyote It's better than both of those movies, both this and Watchmen. I mean.
0: But we've got that nice piece of um, music, musical literature. I don't. I'm, I'm not good with uh, mixing my metaphors. Repertoire. Yeah. Thank you.
3: Yes. Uh, good. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Alan Moore adaptations that draw the more classical sounds or the more soundtrack sounds. Since this movie also has quite a few uh instances of that, but if the glove fits
0: meh. I think they're just trying to really uh modify it to American audiences, I think because a lot of his stuff goes over your head it's very deep cerebral, sometimes he's full of crap i mean if you've read uh, if you've tried reading a lot of his work, you will find some duds that is certain, but then you've got masterpieces like for Vendetta and Watchmen
3: oh yeah I mean the thing about Alan Moore he's, he writes very highbrow stuff for sure and when it's good it's good but it can also be quite unattainable and if you're going to make a film through the Hollywood system unattainable is not a word you want anywhere near <laughs> your project
0: if you're going to give it 56 million dollars so any more music to talk about sir no
3: just the fact that I really like Dario Marionelli as a composer. This is about the only like big blockbuster uh, example of music he's written in recent memory, and yeah, it's regrettably probably for the near future. So just everyone go go check out his stuff, because if you like old period pieces and really emotional stuff, you will get a kick out of what he has to offer.
0: Ballant. you know what that means? It's shared science time. Evening, gentlemen.
4: Yay!
2: Oh, finally.
0: (laughs) Well, you can interject whenever you want, Shimo. You don't have to say science. Fuck you! All right, so let's talk about science or tremendous lack thereof in this. The science deals with political philosophy. All right, there is the science there. It's,
1: it's, uh, it's political science.
0: It's very much that. That is the most you're going to get in this movie. Uh, and I think we've got two big topics lined up. Do you want to talk about the political topic first or the more medical topic first?
1: Uh, let's, do, let's do mine. What's your topic, Ben? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the Milgram experiment. Are you familiar with it already?
0: I think most people know of it. They, don't, they might not know the name of it, but as soon as you describe okay. it, people go, I've been told of this.
1: Uh, in the early 60s, a uh, Yale researcher named Stanley Milgram uh, performed this study um, with Yale students where they would be brought into a room with the, ex- the experimenter, the researcher, was there. And like on the other side of the glass partition, what the participant was told was another participant, but actually they were an actor. And the actual participant in the study um, would administer electric shocks to them. Not really, because it's an actor on the other side. They would they'd press a button, the actor would pretend to be shocked, and the researcher would pretend to increase the amount of voltage, and the actor would pretend to feel more pain. And the goal was to test uh, to what degree someone would obey an authority figure. And the answer was quite a bit. A scary, a scary amount. amount.
0: <laughs> a terrifying amount. These this experiment has been done like over and over again. Like they redo the experiment like every ten years. Um because I remember list- they? I remember listening to an Eli Roth interview, um, the 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 horror director and he stated how yes, I was involved in a in a redo of a of the Milgram experiment, and it's crazy how that stuff is still relevant. And he's just like describing firsthand um, his experience in that involvement of just like people are very comforted by the man in the lab coat just telling them no 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 yeah fine he's fine keep administering the shock we're gonna go up another level and how yeah. Terrifying it is that people will continue to press the button even after they hear this person pleading for their life and then stop making sound altogether.
1: Yeah, um, he he actually did uh, several like different studies. So like for example, they they wouldn't have the researcher in the room or they wouldn't be able to see the the actor or like the wording of the the things the researcher would say to get the participant to continue, like they'd change it up, mm-hmm. and depending on the different circumstances, they would not go as far, depending on, you know, what, you know, what authority was telling them this, and how they phrased their thing, but yeah. there were certain situations where they got more, way more people than they thought they would, going all the way to the the 450 volt shock was the highest that they administered.
0: Yeah, and the purpose though uh, we bring this up in in the context of viewer vendetta is is this Milgram experiment has sort of been used as a justification a justification for why we ever let like fascism get out of hand because we all like with the with 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 Nazi Germany like how could all of those people have done such terrible terrible things? And the answer is we are super obedient next to authority. Um, and in, in V for Vendetta, the similar thing happened where there was concentration camps. They would just send homosexuals, blacks, uh, socialists, just anything that the government deemed to be a threat to fascism. And they would send it. they would experiment and they would kill them and you think, oh, this is outlandish. What an odd fantasy tale. And the reality is it's not that outlandish given the right political environment.
1: Right, yeah. We, we, we like authority figures because they know better than we do. And mm-hmm. if they say, um, we need to take away these people's rights because they're dangerous, we'll go along with it even if the consequences of that are horrible. As
0: long as they don't affect us,
1: <laughs> see see you know current political topic yes all
0: right, any more talk of the terrifying repercussions of political uh experimentation?
2: um so I wanted to talk briefly about something that I had heard about the Milgram experience, particularly about the interpretation of the results themselves. And I'm not sure um, if you guys had kind of briefly kind of mentioned this, but I've heard a lot of people take the Milgram experiments kind of positively in the sense that for the sake of scientific research, a lot of people who understood that somebody else was suffering was still willing to um, continue with the shocks because they believed that there was progress being made um, and it wasn't just the authority itself, but it was rather the belief that there was some sort of contribution that they were making. And so I've heard people kind of view it as self-sacrifice in serve sort of a greater good, which is also self-service or self-sacrifice in sort of, when you look at the Nazis, a greater evil, although they probably believed it was good.
1: Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the thing, is like, these people believed they were doing the right thing, even if what they were actually doing was horrible. Mm-hmm. And so, we have come yeah, we have full to,
0: circle in the thought process behind why you should read V for Vendetta. <laughs> you make you think
1: how There's a really far. good episode of Radio Lab about the Milgram experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, I strongly suggest people check that out. Uh, uh, but I, they, they kind of talk about like the different interpretations of this experiment. They're extremely controversial.
3: There was also a movie that came out earlier this year called Experimenter
0: about Stanley Milgram and the experiment. I don't know, the discussions must be made, do they not, of just how far is too far, right? That's the whole point of where self-sacrifice to feed your love for the common man or woman, of course. But let's move on to the second topic on our list and last, I suppose – in the movie the premise uh we've 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 established that in the book nuclear war no matter if you are involved in the conflict in any way the world is screwed everybody dies whether through incineration or radiation poisoning everything dies so they alter that in the movie to a Epidemic pathogen that sweeps Britain and murders what eighty thousand people—a large amount—and it starts in a in a school called Saint Mary's. So, talk about the reasoning, the the realism of that threat. That's why you're here, Shamo.
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so, the idea of a pathogen kind of sort of like suddenly appearing, sweeping through a large population, then killing a ton of people. Um, as to the, as to the validity of that, I think it's, I think it's something that you like shouldn't expect, but it's not completely implausible. Like, um, you look at past outbreaks that have caused a lot of damage, you know, starting back from, I suppose, the black death, um, Spanish flu, tuberculosis, smallpox. It's all stuff that at some point probably made the jump from a non-human, um, Vector, I suppose, to the human population, and that's the sort of thing that makes diseases the most dangerous. Is when they haven't been present in the human population. Um, this is that's kind of why people were so scared about things like bird flu and swine flu. Um, Ebola itself, I think, is from is from bats, and so it made the jump from bats and became able to infect humans. And so, when you talk about diseases that humans haven't been exposed to for a long time and instead live in other organisms. When they actually make the transfer, the human immune system hasn't been properly adapted to deal with them. And so before any sort of vaccination occurs, or before any sort of adaptive immunity develops in the human population, um, just baseline, the infection can spread very rapidly. Depending on what kind of virus it is and what sort of um, bodily functions it might affect, it could kill. Large, large amounts of people. It could be like very deadly, very easy to transmit, depending on what Mm -hmm. sort of um, is airborne, whether or not it causes a.
0: This virus is supposedly spawned from the British government laboratories. Yeah, I mean technically, that's not cool, right? Because that's like illegal on a world law standpoint. If I'm remembering my Geneva Conventions correctly,
1: biological weapons are very, very illegal. Like frowned everywhere. upon. <laughs> yeah, like this was a this was a
0: UN charter that was adapted universally that you cannot develop biological weapons. So that, that's like the big uh, <laughs> boo boo in the book of just like or in the movie, the government made this and we didn't know about it, and you're supposed to be scared of that because what if? there are governments out there experimenting on, still experimenting on pathogens. I mean, that's the whole plot of uh, Stephen King's The Stand before it gets all weird, dreamy and Randall
2: flaggy. Um, So viruses are really, are really kind of simple. They're just shells that contain RNA or DNA, double-stranded or single-stranded. They have, they have receptors to bind to cells and they inject their genetic information and then use the cell to kind of reproduce. And it's, Pretty simple. Um, And we've been able to modify simple things like bacteriophages, which attack bacteria, and I don't think it would be unreasonable to actually be able to modify viruses to be more deadly, I suppose, in a human population.
0: But I think we've established that both things are scary, Milgram experiments and super flus, um, and that they would easily cause fascism to rise up in any nation – Due to the-
1: here's, here's a fun fact. Um, well, it's not fun. It's actually really terrifying. Um, <laughs> when mathematicians and epidemiologists study disease flow, uh, there's a number called the basic reproduction number, um, or basic reproductive ratio or something. It's it's R0 or R0 or however you want to pronounce it. And it's basically how many cases... If you get the disease, it's how many people you can expect to spread it to on average in an uninfected population um, during the infectious period of the disease. And the 2014 Ebola outbreak, the R value for that was between 1.5 and 2.5. So if you got Ebola, you could expect to infect 2.0 people during while well, you had the disease. Polio, smallpox, mumps... I have about six. Is there there a reproductive number, so you'd infect six people if you got the disease on average? Measles is estimated to be up to 18. Oh, my God. Vaccinate your kids.
0: (laughs) That's the point of Beaver Vendetta. There it is. is. All right. I know I didn't write this one down, but I want to bring up one last topic. Um, Just because I think... Uh, it's not very science-y, but I mean it is related to V Vendetta in some way, or maybe it isn't, and I'm just mixing these two topics up. But when you're talking about the hacker group Anonymous, now is it fair to say were they Ugh. inspired by this movie by, or just simply Guy Fox? Was the Guy Fox mask a thing? It
1: before? was the movie.
0: It was the movie. That I feel like
1: it had to
2: have been the movie.
1: It was definitely the movie. Okay. They're um, like fascism bad, America fascist, and I'm good. And then down with corporate, down with government. didn't realize that Warner Brothers get it every time they sell the mask. So not down with corporate. Okay. because Anonymous is the dumbest shit ever. I do not want to talk about it.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's just important to to distinct how much it's related to this film in in just simple inspiration of, you know, that ending of a united front with everyone with a mask on uh inspired and somehow it transferred into this group of people who have tremendous hacking computer hacking capabilities none of which I can fathom. Because um, I have no idea n- n- one thing <clears throat> at all about hacking. Guys, be careful. We're on the internets. Your mic's off, Shamo.
2: Damn it. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the solidarity that I feel like the music, the movie tries to um, represent through anonymity, I think, is very different from what the group Anonymous does in their like through their actions. Is just all I wanted to say. So I think I think they do very different things, but they use the same iconic symbol, I guess.
0: So cause that's now all we see with the guy Fox mask is
1: take a drink every time someone talks about anonymous.
0: <laughs> Alright, you know what? Let's let's use that flawless transition and get to the final section of tonight. Drinking game rules. Let's get these rules off the ground. Okay. Every time V uses a V word. Pause the movie when necessary, and please slow. Do go slow.
1: Small right. sips. Small sips. <laughs> pretend, pretend you're recovering from heat stroke. No, no heat <laughs> exhaustion. If, you're, if you have heat stroke, go straight to the hospital.
0: <laughs> but
3: yes. Much like if you have to take a drink whenever V does a V word.
2: That's <laughs> like half his vocabulary in that movie.
0: <laughs> well, you better pray he's not on screen then. Take a drink at every semblance of an action scene. Well, are you supposed to just... What about that time where they just do a slow-mo shot of him jumping over a roof? Is that count?
3: I, I guess that's action, but just 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 take a tiny sip for that one, because it's literally about okay. like two seconds.
0: No, it's like three, but you're right.
1: <laughs> just drink continuously during the slow-mo sections.
0: Yeah, yeah. Slow mo, slow mo. Drink during that slow mo shots, because there's a fair amount of slow motion shots that are pretty well utilized in the film. Um, by the, by the time uh, these blades are are wishing by, that's how you should see your hands.
3: <laughs> Take a drink for every time Natalie Portman acts all trembly and scared.
0: <laughs> so every every moment yeah, before are you trying to kill us? the you transcendental kill you? scene. Um yeah, trying to kill us with, with cranberry juice. Right. The uh, <laughs> the immediate scene before the transcendental
3: scene is oh, the doozy. Jeez.
0: It's well I mean you're supposed to reach that moment um while <laughs> you, you you're also supposed to reach that moment in your own way uh during the film. Uh every time the slit in V's mask bothers you you have to drink through a straw. This happened multiple times for me, okay? Because in the book, there is no slit. You don't need to draw it. It's not a visual thing. But in the movie, you can't just put a mask over an actor's face without any sort of, like, ventilation. That person will die. And so seeing it, and did it also feel that uh, you got an inkling That's sense? <laughs> you know, I think it's also you should take a drink every time you get a sensation that they changed the mask to fit a different emotion for the scene, even if it's subtle. Did anyone else notice that, or did they think it was the same mask the whole
1: time?
2: I thought it was the same mask.
0: Hmm. Rewatching it, it looked like they changed it, like the eyebrows a little bit, but I might I'm have about eighty
1: percent sure they used different masks. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure they had different ones to, you know, fit under the hat or when he's just has the wig on or no, I'm talking about like the I I'm, I'm sure multiple masks were used. I mean, I'm come on, but I'm just talking about to better inhibit the emotion of the scene. Like when he's depressed about Evie, do you think the eyebrows are a little bit more slanted to give him that little somber look? Kind of like how they used to draw Iron Man, where you know the face mask was, of course, set, but they would always adjust the eye marks to kind of be eyes. <laughs> no, one, no one thinks sure. so? Sure. Oh, Why not? Oh.
1: <laughs> All right. Screw you guys. I might, I might watch this movie again and see.
0: <laughs> yeah, Got to check it again. Understandable. Any other rules? Any other finishes the bottles?
3: Take a drink for the 1812 Overture. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, every time you there's to... a cannon blast in the 1812 Overture. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, how about you just dance and drink during that scene? That's 18 too? drinks, I believe.
2: Every time V makes some sort of grand, comprehensive statement about society.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> While using V words? Man, it's a double dosage. Take a drink every time you're distracted by John Hurt's teeth. He does angrily grimace in this whole movie. He's that doesn't have a smile, at all. And you do—he never even shows up till the very end. All right. I guess you just gotta finish the bottle as soon as some jerkwad mentions Anonymous. No, nothing. Okay.
1: That's—that's that's exactly when you. Yeah. No.
0: You gotta get, give me a better finish the bottle, please. I don't want to end with that one. It was bad.
1: Oh, I don't—I don't know any others. I don't—I don't care. Ugh. <sighs> uh, <sighs> Finish the bottle when the movie's done.
3: <laughs> Finish the bottle when you realize the movie advocates terror
0: and violence.
1: To yeah. combat
3: terror
0: and violence. There you go. That's a good one. I like that. That's very apt. All right. That looks like it's going to wrap it up today, super fans. Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced by Try up Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes it doesn't cost you a penny and it means the world to us it means everything to us everything it's the only real way you can give back to what we give to you for free if you're a fan you've already rated if you're a fan and you haven't rated you're not a fan i'm not giving you that 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 title yet it's simply it's simply that
1: whether you're a fan or not, I invite you to talk about uh, these these movies and these episodes with us on our subreddit, redditcom slash arc slash superhero movie club. We want to know any any fun facts you have on the movie, or whatever. Just come and chat with us. It'll be great.
3: And then when you're done with that, continue the discussion on our Twitter feed at superhero mc let us know what you think about v for vendetta and its current standings in today's pop culture but don't get anonymous involved because that's just that's just no good for anyone
0: oh god please don't let them touch our twitter account please it's not even that big but i just don't want them to touch it
1: also there's only 16 cannons in the 1812 overture
0: all right thank you for that fun fact that'll do it today i'm your host michael Maurer. james skyler hutzma ben anderson
2: and schmoes on
0: I hope you all have a super week
2: bye now
4: you say you're lonely you cry the long night through well you can cry me a river cry me a river I cried a river over you